It's all right. Looking forward to. Sorry, I completely forgot to unmute myself. So I'm going to do a quick prayer for John, and then I'm going to let him get on with it. I mean, quick. I mean, it'd be better if it was like kind of fully covered. 15 minutes. <laughs> yeah, yeah, 15 yeah, okay, minutes. Cool. <laughs> Uh, dear God, thank you for the gathering here tonight, and I pray that you fl flow through John and give him the message that you want him to give to us. Amen. Amen. Thanks. <laughs> Tag your up. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I am not the best at reading directly from the Bible. If it's written by me in my own way, then I'm quite happy to read off it. If I'm not, I will stumble and not do it justice. So my general flow of plan is to ask very kind people to do those bits of scripture reading for me. So this has not been a simple topic for me to plan. It has probably been the topic I've struggled with the most, if I'm being honest. And that's because a lot of people have been hurt by this topic. I should probably tell you what the topic is. <laughs> yeah. So, tonight's topic was... Why are Christians so judgmental when the Bible tells us not to be? Why are Christians so judgmental when the Bible tells us not to be? And this is quite obviously come from somebody that's been hurt through being judged. Whether that hurt was meant intentionally or not is irrelevant to my mind. They've been hurt, and that really sucks. We are not here to hurt each other, in my opinion. Now, so on the one hand, I've had a couple of people come up to me and talk about how they have been hurt and how this is a really important topic we need to cover because people are being hurt by other Christians. On the other hand, people are coming up to me and telling me that as Christians, it is critical that we actually challenge each other in order to spur each other on to greatness. They think that as Christians, that, that as we are Christian brothers and sisters, we need to keep each other on course, offering support and encouragement and sometimes that sometimes takes the form of correcting them. Being free to tell each other the hard truths. Some of the people I've spoken to, in fact, this week have fallen into both camps. They have felt judged by other Christians and they have seen the need to challenge people and to keep them accountable for their actions. In fact, it's been helpful for when others have done it to them. So I apologize that tonight's talk might be a little bit disjointed in places, but I wanted to cover all of those aspects in a little bit of detail, because I think they are all crucially important. So, firstly, let's have a look at what the Bible tells us. If we look in Matthew 7, verse 1, I'm trying to not to edit the notes, that would help. It says, do not judge or you too will be judged. I mean, to my mind, that's a nice stick. I can take that verse. Next time somebody comes up to me and tells me how I'm living my life is wrong, I can point them to that verse and I'm sorted. It's a good stick, isn't it? 
But the trouble is, I've taken this verse completely out of context. Absolutely out of context. It's actually taken from when Jesus is talking during the Sermon on the Mount. It's part of the, might be after the Beatitudes, but it's part of that bit. Um, Ruth, could you read for me Matthew 7, 1 to 5? I'm not that mean. (laughs) Do not judge, or you too will be judged. For in the same way you judge others, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Why do you look at the speck of sawdust in your brother's eye and pay no attention to the blank in your own eye? How can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when all the time there is a plank in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the plank out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to remove the speck from your brother's eye. So, no. The passage does not say that we should not judge other people. This is actually telling us to be very careful when we judge people. This this passage is telling us not to be hypocritical. The standards that we hold other people to are in fact the standards that we will be held to. It is saying that if we struggle in one area of sin, I should not judge somebody else who's struggling in that very same area. I should first deal with my own sin and only then, once I've gone through the pain and the struggle of dealing with that sin, should I actually try and help somebody else with theirs? Now, to me, this is a very interesting model. It changes it from... um, If you've gone through something very similar, the pain is real to you. You know what has happened, what it feels like to go through that. And therefore, your attitude to that person going through the same battle as you is completely different. You are now trying to help them out of a point of love and compassion, not love and condemnation. Just loving them. Now, does that mean I can only correct somebody who has sinned in the same way that I have? In high... Does that mean I can only correct somebody who has sinned in the same way that I have before? No. But it really does mean that you should tread carefully when you're correcting people. Now, to the hurt. Uh, earlier, I mentioned that people have been hurt by other Christians. Now, this section I just want to address directly to you guys, which is probably everybody in the room. So, first, let me start by saying sorry. I hope that I've not hurt any of you. But if I have, first, let me take a moment to say sorry. That was not my intention. I don't go out of my way to chastise people with spiritual matters. Josh's side is slightly different, but if I've crossed the mark in any way, I first want to take this opportunity to say sorry to you guys. And please, come and talk to me at the end, and I will apologize to you, and I will try and improve my behavior. But what happens when one of us is corrected? When somebody corrects me, I feel guilty. I feel ashamed. And it's really not nice. Even if the person that has corrected me has done it in the most loving way possible, I still feel chastised. And it's not nice. And I can feel anger towards them. Who are they to correct me? How dare they treat me like that? 
I don't even stop to check if what they've corrected me in is correct. It's like, <laughs> how dare you? Just go straight into denial. No, I don't. I don't do that. You've completely misunderstood me. Well, it was only the one time. I was really tired, so it doesn't count. But, you know, this is just me. And that's only a fraction of what I can feel. And these are fairly small issues compared to others I've known who've had gone through some really, really serious things. Now, I've also had friends come to me and who have felt marginalized by other Christians. They've made mistakes in their past. This is both Christians and non-Christians. And they feel that the Christians around them have treated them as outcasts. I believe that sometimes this has been done by accident. But then I've had other Christians come up to me and say, oh, I wouldn't trust them. Don't you know what they did? They did X, Y, and Z umpteen years ago. How? Oh, oh, stay away from them. They can't be trusted. And I've had both Christians and non-Christian friends come and tell me that that's how they've been treated. They felt excluded and marginalized and looked down upon because of some transgression that they had committed in their past. Now, I'm not saying that we see somebody sinning around us that we should not go and speak to them about it. What I am saying is that when we challenge somebody, we have to be careful in the manner that we challenge them. We have to do it from a point of love. We have to... But then also, if we are being challenged by somebody, we have to remove our pride from the equation. If we're there and they point out something we've done, we have to, first of all, it doesn't matter how they've done it to me, the first thing I have to do is ask myself, are they right? Because, like, do you really want to stand before God and go, well, they told me in a nasty way that I needed to correct my behavior on that area, so I didn't bother looking at it. Now, not justifying the way they've told you, to, told you that you need to change your life, but what I am saying is, use that feedback in a way that is going to help you in your walk with God. Take some good out of the hurt. So, now, let's have a look at how we should challenge somebody to live correctly. Because, guess what? The Bible's pretty accurate on this as well. It's fairly... Like, there's, there's not too many ways around to look at this. It's kind of simple. So let's have a look in Matthew 18, 15 to 17. One of my two lovely assistants, if you would be so kind. If your brother or sister sins, go and point out their fault, just between the two of you. If they listen to you, you have won them over. But if they will not listen... Take one or two others along so that every matter may be established by the testimony of two or three witnesses. If they still refuse to listen, tell it to the church. And if they refuse to listen even to the church, treat them as you would a pagan or a tax collector. So, firstly, for us to know whether our brothers and sisters are sinning, we need to weigh up their actions against scripture. And if they fall short, we should privately challenge them on this. Notice it does say privately challenge. Not call them out in front of their friends. That leads to people feeling defensive and the message not going through to them. And it does not say let it slide. How will we know the areas we need to improve our lives if our friends won't help us and point out the areas we're struggling? So we go to them privately. Privately. 
And if they listen to us, then that's great. You have helped them on their journey towards God. If they do not, then find a couple other people who have, found, have seen the same behavior in them. And again, challenge them on it. And if that does not work, go and tell the church. Hoping that the whole congregation joined together will be able to convince them that they need to change their behavior. Lastly, if they still do not listen, then were they actually that interested in changing their lives and living for God? And that's not for us to decide, that's for them, between them and God. So this blueprint that has just been laid out before us is not simple and is not easy. It is something that is challenging. To actually go up to somebody and say, look, you, you, I've seen you doing this, this needs to stop, it's not easy. But this blueprint isn't the only thing that we need to follow. It's a good guidelines. It's just how we do it. But our attitude when we go into those situations with those people is just as important. Now, in the summer, um, I was doing the preaching course, and the first one I spoke on was uh, remembering God in a crisis, which was really handy because that's what I preached on last week. And the next one I spoke on was Corinthians 1.13. And we were looking at 1 Corinthians 13. It's been probably used in 50% of the, the uh, weddings I've been at. I mean, I, do you remember your, was that your wedding, Ruth? I can't remember. It might have been at mine. It might have been at mine. And it, it says, in fact, can we whack it on the board, on the screen? Oh, in fact, no, go back. I forgot a bit. So, uh, looking for a willing victim. Joe. <laughs> this is just going to be my thing, Joe. I, apolog I would apologize, but I wouldn't mean it. <laughs> Joe, what's the greatest commandment? Uh, go out and make disciples. No, that's a great commission. Yes, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, and all your spirit. And the second most important commandment is like this. Love your neighbor as yourself. All the laws of the prophets hang on these two commandments. So 1 Corinthians 13, 1 to 13, talks about what love is. So could we just have one of my two assistants to read that? If I speak in the tongues of men or of angels, but do not have love, I'm only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. If I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have a faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. If I give all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but do not have love, I gain nothing. Love is patient. Love is kind, it does not envy, it does not boast, it is not proud, it does not dishonor others, it is not self-seeking, it is not easily angered, it keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. It always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. Love never fails. But where there are prophecies, they will cease. Where there are tongues, they will be stilled. Where there is knowledge, it will pass away. For we know in part, and we prophesy in part. But when completeness comes, what is in part disappears. 
When I was a child, I talked like a child, I thought like a child, I reasoned like a child. When I became a man, I put the ways of childhood behind me. For now we see only a reflection, as in a mirror. Then we shall see face to face. Now I know in part, then I shall know fully, even as I'm fully known. And now these three remain, faith, hope, and love. But the greatest of these is love. Thank you. We've been speaking about how to correct people. What isn't mentioned in that passage, but is referenced repeatedly throughout all of scripture, is loving your neighbor. If you're challenging somebody and you do not love them, why are you challenging them? I've been challenged by people that don't love me. It is not nice. I've been challenged by people that love me. And whilst it has not been nice, it has been comforting. It has been helpful. And I think that's what we have to remember. If somebody challenges you on something as a Christian, first, put aside how they challenge you. That's irrelevant for the time being. Look at what they're saying. Weigh it. Everything you hear as a Christian you should weigh, including what I tell you, especially what I tell you. Weigh it. If a pastor doesn't tell you to weigh what he is saying, really weigh what he's saying. <laughs> but if somebody comes to you and goes, look, I don't think what you're doing there is a good idea, listen to them and weigh what they say. Ask God about it. And if it is right that you need to change, then change. If it's not, then you've learned something important about them. Next, look at whether they're doing it in a loving way. If we need to challenge somebody, we need to do it in a way where we come alongside them and go, look, I can see you're struggling with that. Let me help. This is what's helped for me. I'm not trying to judge you. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I just want you to have the best relationship you can with God. And if this comes from love, then we stand actually a fighting chance to actually be true friends and family to our Christian brothers. Now, each service before you guys have arrived, the team has got here earlier, the band has practiced, we've eaten together, and then we've shared communion together. And purposely tonight, we invited you guys in to share food with us, and that's been absolutely lovely, and I've really enjoyed that. But we haven't shared communion together. And there's good reason for that. Because the in 1 Corinthians, in fact, I've gone completely off script. So could you whack 1 Corinthians up 11 on the screen for me? This is Paul speaking about how we should give communion to each other. I just thought it'd be nice of us to go through it. It is one of the last sections for you guys to read. I apologize. <laughs> For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new convent in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For whenever you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. 
So then whoever eats the bread or drinks the cup of the Lord in an unworthy manner will be guilty of sinning against the body and the blood of the Lord. Everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat of the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink without discerning the body of Christ eat and drink judgment on themselves. That is why many among you are weak and sick and a number of you have fallen asleep. But if we were more disconcerning with regard to ourselves, we would not come under such judgment. Nevertheless, when we are judged in this way by the Lord, we are being disciplined so that we will not be finally condemned with the world. Can you roll back a slide, Lucy? So the reason I've left communion until now is because of everyone ought to examine themselves before they eat the bread and drink from the cup. For those who eat and drink of this cup without discerning the body of Christ drink judgment upon themselves. And as we've been speaking about judgment and people being condemned and challenged, I thought it'd be a very good time for us to actually sit and have a little bit of reflection about the people that have been challenged in our own lives and the people who have challenged us, the people we have challenged, the people who have hurt us and the people that we have hurt and actually come before God and say sorry for this and be reconciled. So Lucy has a song um, which is actually by the same people that were singing before. Um, and while, while that's playing, if we could have you guys just having a bit of a think about it. And then towards the end of the song, if the band could come forward, we'll serve you communion first. And then after that, uh, we'll actually bring communion out to you guys and we'll share together. So, thank you very much.
human eloquence and angelic ecstasy, but don't love. I'm nothing but the creaking of a rusty gate. If I speak God's word with power, revealing all of his mysteries and making everything as plain as day, and if I have faith to say to a mountain, jump, and it jumps, but I don't love, I'm nothing. If I give all I earn to the poor, or even go to the state to be burned as a martyr, but I don't love, I've got nowhere. So, no matter what I say, no matter what I believe, no matter what I do, I'm bankrupt without love. Let my life be the proof, the proof of On the night he was betrayed, Jesus took the bread, saying, This is my body, broken for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And after the supper, he took this wine and said, This is my blood, brought up for you. Do this in remembrance of me. <laughs> 